All right, Matthew 7, it's where we are. Cruising right through, we're almost through 7. Um, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just, this is just the text that fell on me, all right? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, isn't, that, isn't that a great verse? This is what, this is what we're going to look at today. Like, how many of you have this on your refrigerator at home because you love it so much? Like, like it's, it's probably not anybody's life verse. Um, what's funny is I'm like horrible at memorizing verses. Uh, I've always tried to memorize verses, you know, to, uh, uh, to hide the word of God in my heart and, and be able to take it anywhere. And I have such a hard time doing it unless it's a verse like this that scares the crud out of me. Then it's like I can memorize it all day long, like I know exactly what it says. So, um, and this is, this, is a, this is a heavy one, you know. And, and so I want to remind us of a couple things before we uh, completely get into us uh, to help us take this, um, quite frankly, terrifying text and make it a clarifying text for us. Um, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to actually make three observations out of the text when we get into it, but, but um, it, it really helps. We hit on this all the time. We remind you of this all the time. Um, exposition matters when we read our Bible. I know it sounds like a big word or maybe a technical word or maybe an academic word, but all exposition means is to expose what's there. I think a lot of times we can read through a text just on a surface level and assume a lot of things into it as we read over it. And exposition helps give us clarity and helps us from the dangers of assuming things uh, that, that, that we just naturally do. So, so we want to expose. That's Bible reading 101, right? If we stick to the extracting the facts, then we will gain facts. We will gain good theology. We will gain something biblical um, rather than what our head is doing with something. I also want to remind us that the most helpful piece of information for us to have in mind when looking at a difficult, difficult text like this is to establish the context. Right? A lot of you grew up in the church where you had dudes stand up there. Calvary chapels did this pretty much every, every single pastor would stand up there and be like, remember the three rules uh, to Bible interpretation, context, context, context. Those are, those are the three rules to proper Bible interpretation. And, and this matters here, okay? So it's the stuff that surrounds the text uh, that's in question. And this helps us greatly because Jesus has been in a pattern here in seven of contrasting, establishing two groups of people, two types of people in his teachings surround this text. False prophets... Verse real ones, bad trees, verse good trees, those who enter by a wide gate as opposed to those who enter by a narrow one. And we need to know this, right? Because what's happening here is you and I get together on Sundays and move through Matthew. So a week goes by between a teaching, right? Or weeks go by between teaching. So it's disconnected by the time that you, you and I get together from week to week. 
But these guys were hearing Jesus preach this sermon. They were hearing these things within seconds or minutes of each other. So everything was connected. Everything was cohesive, right? And so it's actually more of a challenge for you and I not hearing it the way that Jesus originally proclaimed it because it's disconnected. There's a lot of time going by, which means that we can forget things that we previously heard two or three weeks ago that directly matter to what we're hearing now. Like they're vital for what we're hearing now. And so uh, context matters. And I just want to want to remind you that Jesus has, has been on this consistent thread in chapter seven of establishing two groups of people, right? The, the reason it matters so much is it's, it's like the difference between us thinking that Jesus is presenting something new and, and knowing that Jesus is actually being consistent with what he's already established. In this case, it's the difference between us thinking like, oh, this is, this is the end result for false prophets, false teachers, bad trees, and wide gate uh, people, or thinking, oh, no Christian is safe. How many of you have done that with this text as Christians, as believers? Like, no Christian is safe, right? Like, I'm not safe. The floor can fall out from under us with salvation at any moment is kind of like the impression that we can, we can get if we don't understand the consistency. Like, 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 God's just up there going, like, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not, just picking a flower. You know what I mean? Um, we may be prone to think in a text like this that we have no security in salvation, that there is no security in salvation, that our certainty in salvation is unknowable. And biblically as a whole, Jesus' teaching as a whole, that's simply not true. It's simply not true. Uh, this, this is not our Father that is sitting up there picking petals off a flower, and it's not our Jesus to keep his kids doubting and fearing in Christ is not the character of God. Okay? So that's not... Um, what this is. Context assures us that this is not the case here. So we're going to make three observations from the text, basically one from uh, the first verse, one from the second verse, one from the third verse, and uh, just, just extract, okay, so that we can have some, some clarity. So number one is this. The password, meaning into the kingdom of heaven or salvation, or the password is not just something we say, it's something we do. The password is not just something we say, it's something we do. The difference between our acceptance or rejection into the Father's kingdom depends not on what we say, but what we do. And, I mean, some of you right now might think, like, wait a minute, Pastor, like, this is the opposite of what you guys run down our throat every single week. You guys are always talking about how it's not about what we do, but it's about what, who, like, who we believe, right? And that's absolutely the truth. Um, we're not preaching anything different here, so, so give me a minute. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so again, the password is not just something we say, it's something we do. The first thing that we notice here is that it's possible for people to see Jesus as Lord, to profess Jesus as Lord, not have a problem with Jesus being Lord, and not be known by Jesus. Don't look around right now. Like, that would be awkward. Like, who are they? You know what I mean? Um, the, the, the reality, guys, in which we currently live, the current church culture in which we live, is one of um, the what we call the visible church. Okay? 
I don't know if you've ever heard these phrases or these distinctions. We have the visible church and we have the invisible church. In other words, we have rooms right now gathering across this globe to come together and worship Jesus today. And not everybody who comes into those rooms and is sitting in those chairs and singing those songs and praying those prayers knows Jesus. Okay, This is the, the reality of the visible church. And, and again, I don't want you to look around in here, but it is also possible in here that there are some of us sitting here that don't actually belong to God, but are a fact, that, you know, in fact, by bodily presence, part of the visible church. We would look at you and say, okay, you're part of the church. You're here. You're doing what we do. Uh, we see this uh, unpacked over and over again by Jesus, but especially when you get up to like Matthew 13 and he starts busting into parables, right? And there's that parable about the, the wheat field, right? There was an owner who owned a field and he took good seed and he put it into that field, right? But at night while he was sleeping and while his workers of the field were, were sleeping, a bad dude came in and threw bad seed into that field. And when everything started coming out of the ground, you had wheat coming up and you had weeds coming up with them. And the workers go to the owner and go, didn't you just put good seed into this field? And he's like, yeah, I know what's going on. And they're like, well, let's go get the weeds out of here. And he's like, no, leave the weeds until the harvest until the end, and the angels will come and handle that business. So right now, the reality of the church, the reality of, the, of God's kingdom here in the church is a mixed field. We call that the visible church, as opposed to the invisible church, which is actually the wheat. Those are the ones that actually belong to God, not just the ones that are, are, are sharing uh, a field. Okay, And so... Um, it could be easy for a weed to think, hey, I'm good because I'm in a wheat field, right? Uh, but they're not good because they're still just a weed. They're still just a weed. A weed does not turn into wheat just because it finds itself in a wheat field. It just means it's in a mixed field. That's all it means. There is no validity in salvation through association. Just because grandma was a Christian and her mom was a Christian, and her mom was a Christian, and your parents were a Christian, does not make you a Christian. We have all lived like this and thought like this for a long time, especially as Americans, because of our heritage, because of the place we live in, and, and, and who, 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 who a great number of the populace has been, we assume we're, we're Christians. And it's not true. Look at Israel even, right? Look at Israel. Not all who are Israel, Paul says, Romans chapter 11, is Israel. I thought this was God's chosen nation. I thought this was God's people. Paul says this. He makes it clear. There's a difference, guys. If you go back and do a study, it's, it's a big one, but it's a, a rewarding one. There's a difference between the offspring of Abraham and the seed of Abraham. Those are two different things. There's a difference between um, uh, those who physically were birthed from Abraham in that lineage, in that, in that line, and children of the promise after the order of Abraham. Those are two different things. And that's what Paul means, actually, when he says that. G.K. Chesterton said this. I love this quote. Just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. <laughs> right? Like, that's a ridiculous notion, right? Like, I, I can't even put on a police uniform right now, and that doesn't make me a cop. It just makes me some weird dude in a police uniform. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this is what we're talking about. We, we, we could say many right things simply because we've been trained to know how to. 
And, and it means nothing at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it is not just what we say, but it is what we do that matters, which brings us to the doing part of this verse in which some will say, I, I knew it. I knew God cared about my performance. I knew he cared about how I'm able to perform for him. I knew that all my hard work would pay off and not go unseen by him, right? I knew that he would be impressed at the end of the day by my efforts and my merits and my contributions. So the answer to Christianity is, is actually what I always thought it was and hoped it was. Like, I just got to ste step up my game about following Jesus, just like I always thought. I mean, isn't it just like us to go that direction when we see the word do? You know what I mean? When we see the word do, we think earn, merit, deserve. Deserve. After all, Jesus couldn't be any more clear with his language here, right? I mean, this is a pretty strong statement. It's a pretty clear uh, sentence. It's hard to foul up what he's saying here. The one who does the will of God, active, right, is the one who's getting into heaven. Glad you're excited about this, Mia. And I would say... Yes, it's very easy for you and I to foul up this clear statement because of our sinful, prideful, self-meriting, self-earning, pay-it-off, impress-God, humanistic minds. We hear God wants me to perform. God wants me to perform. God wants me to do more and try harder, do better, be better. God wants me to create and produce righteousness from within me. And it matters infinitely, guys, that we get the answer to this question right. Is this, there you go, what Jesus is promoting? Is this what Jesus is promoting here? A greater effort on our part. What does he mean when he says to do the will of the Father? Because it's the difference between acceptance or rejection into the sky castle. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is it what we do here, how we answer this. And so I want you to turn with me real quick to John chapter 6. Go over to John 6. We're going to find the answer to this question. What does Jesus mean by doing the will of the Father? John chapter 6. You guys all know the story. Five thousand people come to Jesus, sits in a high place, so that they can come to him and hear him, and he teaches. It's the Sabbath day. This is an enormous crowd of people, right? And it's the Passover. So there's a meal that needs to happen. And so Jesus, already knowing what's going to go down, he looks at his disciples and says, how much money you guys got? Someone needs to, like, run to Circle K and grab some food. Because like, like everyone needs to eat. You know what I mean? And uh, they're like, even if we, even if we had a, a ton of money, we don't have enough money to feed everybody that's here. And he says, you're absolutely right, so go gather the food. They gather the food. He multiplies it. You guys know the story, the Sunday school story, right? Feeds all of them. It's a total miracle. There was food left over. They were collecting it, right? Uh, a to total miracle, supernatural, divine um, act that could not be ignored. And then Jesus disappears, Right? That night, they all go to bed. He goes across the sea to the other side, and they're all going, like, where did he go? And they realize his boat's gone, so they go across the sea. Like, they, they, like there's no way we're letting this dude out of our sight now. Like, we're going to hang out with this guy. 
we're going to hang out with this guy because of what he's able to provide for us, right? So they go over there, they find him, and, and when they found him, it says in verse 25 of chapter 6 of John, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are, uh, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And when they, uh, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers the, answered them, This is the work of God that you believe. In him whom he has sent. What must we do is the question. Jesus answers, this is what you must do. Believe in me. Believe in me, right? So, so, so yes, the difference between our acceptance or our rejection into the kingdom is based on what we do. And that being to believe on the Son of God plus nothing else. To believe on Jesus. So number one, the password is not just what we say, it's what we do, um, and that is belief in Jesus, which brings us to observation. Number two, those who Jesus will send away are those who depend on what they've done. Those whom Jesus will send away are those who depend on what they've done, not what he's done, not what he's done. In other words, the problem is in what kind of doing they're doing. Like, this is where the issue is. What kind of doing they're doing. The problem is that they're relying on their doing rather than trusting in his doing. Verse 22, on that day, when many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Right? Like, like what are these guys doing here in Jesus' example? They're grandstanding. These guys are self-promoting. They're candidating their own resumes as to why God should accept them and receive them. They're building a case for acceptance based upon their performance, and this is where it all goes bad, guys, every time. This is where it goes bad for us. Listen to me. Hell is for good people. Hell is for good people. It's for people who think they're good enough, so they do not do the work of God by believing in Christ's goodness. They've got it covered. And these are the people that we have here. Hell is for good people. Like, it, like, like it's not just for like Satan worshipers. We all think of someone like Anton LaVey or like that dude's gonna be in hell, right? Or like, or like people who openly give God the finger. You know what I mean? We all know some of those in our lives, right? We know the people who make jokes about wanting to be in hell because that's where all their friends are gonna be. You know what I mean? Like, like, hell's not just for those people. It's also for good people. It's for people who think they're good. Who think they're going to be good enough. And it's a sobering thing to think about. Consider this. What we have here is the most supreme courtroom kind of a imagery that Christ is giving us, right? Before the most supreme judge in the most crucial trial imaginable 
to put forth the best argument to be made as to why God should let them into his kingdom as opposed to sending them to eternal fire. And this is their best defense. Like, this is their best defense. These are their closing arguments, right? This is the best case that they could put together. I did. I did. I did. And by the way, I did it for you. Like, this is their case. This is their, their argument. I mean, come on, based upon all I've done for you, you've got to let me in. You've got to let me in. Uh, not if our best works or as filthy rags he doesn't. Right? We're all familiar with what Isaiah says. Our righteousness, our best, is like filthy rags to God. And without getting too crazy on it, I think we're all adults here, a couple young ones. You're welcome, parents. You can explain it on the way home. He's not talking about like rags that have like mud on them or oil on them from working on a car. He's talking about minstrel cloths, used ones. So consider this, your best works that you think are going to gain you approval before God are those. You're going to hold those up. These guys are holding these up before God and going, isn't this beautiful? This is why you should let me in. It's pretty crazy when you think about it for what it actually is. Again, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, like, like there's this quote that I love. Like, God saw our very best works, and then he died. <laughs> like, like, they ain't that great, guys. They're, they're, not, they're not enough. They're not enough. Know this. Know this. There will not be one person in heaven who has a tale of self to tell. Not one. Right? You, you can have a problem right now with the idea of Calvinism. You can have a problem with the biblical idea of election or predestination, that God chooses us, um, not us, him, in our salvation. But everybody, at the end of the day, who populates heaven will know it. Everybody will know it. We will all know it at that time. There's this quote, I can't remember if it was you, Ashley, or if it was you, Karen. Maybe you guys, like, shared each other's, but there was a quote that someone put on Facebook a couple weeks ago. It was fantastic while I was thinking about this. I'm glad we are saved by grace, not by works, because I don't want to sit in heaven and listen to everybody brag for eternity of how they got there. That's D.L. That's DL Moody. That's D.L. Moody, right? Like, like, this quote ain't no joke. Like, that's legit. Like, he heaven isn't going to be about you going to be about him. And, and, and we're all finally going to know it. We're all finally going to know it, and we're going to celebrate it, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This what? The grace or the faith? Yes. Yeah, yeah the grace of God is what gifted us with a faith that is unto salvation. Yes, right? It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that nobody has a tale to tell of how rad they are. That's what this is saying. Even though what these guys did here was an impressive list of activities. I'm sure you guys have seen what, what it is they actually brought up, right? That they performed for Jesus. Jesus is unimpressed. This is an impressive list. And Jesus is unimpressed. Right? And, and, and I want you to notice that these are, these are some impressive things. I mean, what, what, what do their evidences, works, efforts have in common? Like, 
the miraculous, the supernatural, right? They're, they're quote unquote mighty works. So like these dudes aren't pulling out your run of the mill, like minor league stuff, like Jesus, I prayed. You know what I mean? Like my church attendance was good. Like I, me- I memorized some scriptures. I tithed regularly, right? And I didn't beat my kids. Like, like it wasn't stuff like that. It's like in their minds, and to most people, these are, these are like the coup de grace of like proof, of proof that you are on team Jesus, right? These are the things that nobody can question when they see them. Things that in their minds, people or God cannot ignore. Things that to them proved without a shadow of a doubt whose side they were on and what kind of an impression did it leave on Jesus. Was he going like, oh, you're making this really hard for me right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm tempted to go ahead and let you through. I don't, think he, I don't think he was. He's simply unimpressed. He's simply not interested. He's simply not persuaded. He's not persuaded. Remember this, guys. Satan knows how to play the God game. He knows how to play the God game. You see it from cover to cover of Scripture ever since the beginning. The fall in the garden, original sin, came about as Satan playing the God, the God game, right? We see this all over the place. We see um, when you go back to Exodus 7, right? You, you, you got uh, Moses and Aaron, and God gives them uh, instructions on how to go before Pharaoh and, and, uh, and, and plead the case in the name of God, and they give him the staff, and he says, you're going to throw it down. It's going to turn into a serpent. And so they go in. They do this whole deal. They throw down the staff, turns into a serpent, right? Uh, like legit. Like that's kind of supernatural and crazy, right? So what does Pharaoh do? Like he's unimpressed. Like he's, he's, he's like, oh, I, I, I can do those tricks too. And he gets his guys to come in, and they do the same tricks. Like they were counterfeits. Because it wasn't of God, but they were supernatural. They were, they were the same tricks. So like, like, bottom line, doing crazy things doesn't make Jesus crazy for you. Like, just because you can do something crazy doesn't mean Jesus is crazy about you. Okay? It doesn't mean that you're crazy about Jesus if you can do something crazy. It just means you participated in something crazy. And I've seen some crazy stuff in my life. I'm sure you have, too. It just means you've been a part of something crazy. That's all it means. Having said that, I also think that it is in this verse that, that the actual terror is injected into the Christian, right? It's, it's in this middle verse. Uh, I think this is why we can all look at a verse like this and go, like, who's, who's safe? Like, am I safe? Uh, can, can I be safe? Right? And that terror is implied in this. These guys want in. These guys want in. Right? It, do, it doesn't look like they don't care. That's what makes this verse so terrifying. They, they, they want in. These guys thought on some level that they were his. That on, on, on some level they wanted to be his. I mean, they call him Lord emphatically. Right? Lord, Lord. Right? That's a double emphatic. In, in other words, they're certain and confident about what they're saying. Right? And they did not. Um, it seems that they weren't intentionally trying to deceive people and lead people away from Jesus like most false prophets do, like most religious leaders do at the time, like the Pharisees, right? They really truly believed that they were on God's team doing God's work, and they were wrong. And this is what makes this text scary. And you know what? It's meant to. It's meant to. This, this text is meant to cause you and I to pause and to consider and to examine 
and to question what it is that we are really standing on. What it is that we're really standing on. To question what it is that we're storing up in our case files for our day in court. It's here to cause us to get that in order, right? Because the reality of the church is one of a wheat field with weeds in it. I fear that so many attending, right, religiously serving, singing, tithing, quoting scripture, praying, speaking in tongues, laying on hands, preaching from pulpits all over the place, do not possess something they think they do. Which is one of the reasons the day with a capital D will be great and a terrible one. Right? So, so many of us, though we've heard and know very well the gospel of justification by faith not works, we still are prone to hold on to this notion that on some level God will accept us based upon how we perform, how we clean up, how we put out, how we contribute. And there are going to be surprises because of this on that day. So two... Those whom Jesus will send away are those who will depend on what they've done, not on what he's done. Which brings us to number three. At the end of the day, all that really matters is if Jesus knows you. That's all that really matters at the end of the day, is if he knows you. Verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, like, I know that we like to think and talk and preach from the vantage point of us uh, for him. That's just normal. That's natural. Um, us being obedient to him, us living for him, us coming to him, right? Us knowing him. But what actually matters is that he knows us. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I never knew you, depart from me? Never knew us how? What kind of no is he speaking of here? Well, the word that Jesus uses here, I can't ever pronounce Greek words, but the word is a strong Greek compound word. That means two Greek words put together for strength, and it is uh, oidepita, oidepita. Oid is the first word, which means no, not even, and then uh, peta is not at any time. Not at any time. So, so in the context of the subject of, that Jesus is talking about, that he's speaking of here, Jesus is saying to them, he never knew them at any time as kingdom citizens, as his. Because we all know that God's all-knowing. We know that God knows, knows each and every person that's ever existed better than they know themselves, right? It's not, that's not what's being talked about in the context. It's about kingdom citizenship, right? Which, mean, which means that, that these aren't people who once had something that they lost. I want you to listen to this part, because a lot of people get this wrong. These are not people that had something that they lost. They didn't make Jesus happy at one point and then stop making Jesus happy, so they lost their salvation. That's not what's going on. They simply never had it. No, not even at any time. No, not even at any time. He never knew them as disciples, never knew them as followers, never knew them as co-heirs to the kingdom. And I know this is hard, and I know this is heavy, but this is true. This is true what our Bible is telling us here. If Jesus doesn't know you as his, you cannot, you will not, 
actually know him. You will not actually know him. And I am open for emails or coffee or discussions because I know this is challenging stuff. There is this verse that we all love, and it does not read like this. Jesus loves me because I first loved him. We love him because he first loved us. So, so like, he, he knew us as objects of his love, and so it was so. That's what that verse is saying, right? Like, notice who the first work belongs to in that verse. Notice who initiates the relationship. A great example of this is when um, Nathaniel met Jesus in John uh, chapter 1. Right? So, so Jesus is like collecting his disciples. He's going around and he's like tapping them on the shoulder and like, okay, you're in, you're in, you're in. And you got, um, Nathaniel was basically like the Thomas of the early days. He was like the doubter. Um, and he was just skeptical. He was like super skeptical and sarcastic. And so like Philip comes to him one day and he's like, hey, Nathaniel, like we found him. Nathaniel's like, who? And he's like, the one that Moses talked about, the one that the prophets talked about. It's Jesus from Nazareth. Like, it, it's him. And he goes, does anything good ever come from Nazareth? You guys know the legendary statement, right, of sarcasm, of skepticism, right? It's like the same thing with Chad. Like, can anything good come from Prineville? It's like that type of thing. You know what I mean? And I guess maybe it has. I don't know. Chad, yep. He's here to testify of that, right? And so this is, this is Nathaniel, right? And, and so, like, let me read this so I don't ruin it to you real quick. And so Jesus comes to Nathaniel, or actually Philip brings Nathaniel before uh, Jesus here, and um, where am I at? One what? I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, 45? Oh yeah, that's where it's at. So it says, like, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of who Moses in the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus answered him and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And this guy with all this skepticism and um, um, with just this, this sarcasm and this doubt about Jesus being him, it says in the next verse, started worshiping and confessing that Jesus is the Lord. Why? Because he said, I saw you. You know what that, which just means it's, it's a Greek word, uh, uh, Ido, which means I know you. And, and, and Nathaniel knew that that's what he was saying. It wasn't like, oh, I was creeping behind the next tree like, a, you know, like I was creeping on you and I saw you over there. No, like he knew what Jesus was saying. Like, like before we met right now, like, like I, I've, no, I've always known you. I've always known you. And Nathaniel knew that that's what he was saying. And he broke down in worship. All his doubts gone, all his skepticism gone, and he follows Jesus, right? Crazy stuff, but this, this is what we're talking about. This is the kind of no uh, that we're talking about. And, uh, and, and this is where present and eternal, guys, listen to this. This is where present and eternal security is found. It is, it, it is in the reality that God initiates relationship with us, not the other way around. It's in that, it's in that God knows us, not the other way 
around. So, so that's the irony of this verse, right? Is that on the surface it can seem to create an insecurity of, of like not being, not knowing that you could, not being secure in, in your, you know, salvation, when in truth it actually speaks the opposite. Security. Because those whom God knows are as secure as it gets. Are as secure as it gets. Three, at the end of the day, all that matters is if Jesus knows us. Now, he finishes off by calling these guys workers of lawlessness. What does this mean? It just means doers or performers of iniquity. Doers or performers of sin. Even though they did these rad things, right? Their, their, their sin remains. Why does their sin remain? Because they did not believe in the Son, right? For righteousness. They're still standing on their own righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ through belief. So, so that's why he refers to them as workers of lawlessness. They're, they remain in their sin, right? So here's the test, okay? Here's the self-examination part for us in closing. Uh, how can I know, this is kind of the question that I had, uh, how can I know that he's not talking about me? Okay, and if you're like me, then you want to know the answer to this too. So let's just take a test together. How many of you suck at tests, all right? Hopefully you're all right on this one. I, I stink at tests, hate them, uh, but we're going to do this. So uh, three things here, how that answers, uh, how I know he's not talking about me based upon what we see and what we extracted, what we observed. Number one, because I love God. Because I love God. That's, that's one reason why I know he's not talking about me, right? Do, do, do you believe in God because um, you want to be well taken care of? on earth, or because you want good things to come your way, or because you're scared of hell, which is actually kind of fair and biblical, um, like, it, like, or like, is it just because of like some form of earthly self-preservation, or is it because you love God? I think we all or have loved people, I mean, this is a common thing for us to do, is to actually um, mistake our love for somebody based upon the love for what they're able to do for us, or give us, or provide us with. And I think that that's where a lot of people are with God, is that we're looking for what he can give us rather than who he is, right? Like the prodigal was this way with the father uh, when he left home. Like, like he just wanted his dad's stuff. He didn't want his dad. And there's so many of us that can, that can, that can be here, and the difference is, do you love your dad? Do you want your dad, right? Um, the key characteristic for the child of God is a love for the Father as well as a love for the things that the Father loves. And the Father loves the Son more than anything else. The Father loves the Son. And because this is true, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the access point to the Father, the access point to the kingdom. Okay? There is no other way in, and I, I know that this is why so many people hate Christianity, is because exclusive, right? We claim exclusivity. Like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's, there's, no, there's no back door, side door, trap door, garage door, like, roof door. Like, like there's a door, and, and it's Jesus. And, and we tell people that because we love them, not because we hate them. You know what I mean? Like, th this is the, the access point. And this is what's, what this really means. Like, like if you're going to be a card holder to the kingdom, you have to go through Jesus. You have to go through Jesus. That's the, the work that you need to do. 
okay? You have to go through and to him, and we will have no problem doing so if we love him. We will have no problem doing so. And if, it's, if we love him, it's because we are loved and known by him, okay? That's what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 8.3, if anyone loves God, Paul says, he is known by God. This is why we're disciples, right, of Jesus, children of God, kingdom citizens. So number one, I can know that Jesus isn't talking about me because I love God. Like, I really do. And, and a lot of times it's poor, and a lot of times it's cheap, and a lot of times it's shallow. You know what I mean? But, but like, I actually want him. I actually want him. Where does that come from? It's not something I decided. I, I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? I want God. Like, no, no, it's, it's, it's something he created in me because he knows me. He saw me. Number two, I know that Jesus isn't talking about me because my hope lies in Jesus and not me. It lies in him and not me, right? My righteousness lies in him and not me. My performance lies in him and not me. This is why I know that Jesus isn't talking about me. So ask yourself, where does my hope lie? Where does my hope lie? Like, like, is it in you on any level or in him on every level? Plus nothing. Like, when you appear in court on that day, when your court date comes up, right, before him, what's your defense going to be? What is your defense going to be? Will, will your case files be filled with, like, I, this, I, that, I, that, like these guys were? Or is it going to be, like, him? Like the guy on the middle cross, you know what I mean? Like, like him, yeah. him, right? Will your argument be all the stuff that you did for God, or all the stuff that God did for us? This is a difference. This is the di that's a winning case. That's a winning case in this court, right? When asked why you should be led into the kingdom, one word will do: Jesus, Jesus. That's it. Right? So, number two, like, I, I, I know Jesus isn't talking about me here because my hope lies in Jesus, not me. And that's a true thing for me, people. Like, I'm still prideful. I'm still, you know, messy. I'm still ugly. I still get confident in myself sometimes. But at the end of the day, I know there's nothing good in me. I know that I need to be saved from this on every level. And heaven is for people who know the same thing. Number three, I know that Jesus isn't talking, this is the last one, I know that Jesus isn't talking about me because when I'm pressed in life, or when I wander, or when I fail, or when I get discouraged, I despair at the thought of not having him. I despair at the thought of not having him. Like, it drives me nuts. Right? It's, it's, that, it's, that, it's, that, whole, it's that whole narrative where Jesus is actually saying hard things to the public. He's come out of the closet. He's like, I'm the son of God, and I'm going to start saying some things that you guys don't understand. And he's talking about, unless you, like, drink my blood and eat my flesh, and people think he's talking about cannibalism. And it says when he's done with that teaching, like, the, whole, the crowds walked away. Like, they all bailed. They're like, uh, these are hard sayings. Like, we're done. <laughs> we're out. I went off the bus. And he looks to his disciples, and he's like, are you guys going to go too? And what does Peter say? Lord, where, where else is there to go? Like, you alone have the words of life. Like, I... I know that. Why do I know that? Again, not because I've decided to. I know that because God knows me. I know that there is nothing apart from Christ. No matter how bad things get, no matter how far I go, no matter how hard I hit when I fail, I know that there is nowhere else to go. Christ is it. 
Christ is it. When life and circumstance and people and self hands you a turd, like where do you go? That's the question, right? Like do you walk away from him or do you walk towards him? Do you walk towards him? When you can't find any good works, any good thoughts, any good intentions, any good desires coming out of you, where do you go? From him or towards him? Does the thought of walking away from God cause you to despair? It is, it, 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 is it not even an option in your mind or your heart to walk away, right? Like, 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 like this is not there, be, not because you're good at knowing God. It's there because he's good at knowing you. That's why it's there. Jesus assures us in John chapter 6, like, give, give me something better. Give me some hope. Like, this is, this is pretty good. John 6, he assures us, listen to me, assures us of this. All who the Father gives me will come to me. Not if they decide to, not if, you know, if I wrestle them into it, like, like they're, they're going to come. And here's the part, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. This is the promise, this is security, this is hope, right? This is how I know that I'm not who he's talking about here. And I hope you do too. If this has never been settled with someone here today, like, let's just settle it, you know what I mean? Like, let's just get it out of the way. If, if someone here has been relying on their good works on any level and not his good works, like, let's just take care of it right now. I would invite you right now to know him or to acknowledge that you're known by him. If any of what's been talked about today, like, strikes you as truth, like, is true, where you're going, like, you're convicted, like, you're feeling it. And I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable when you do, because truth isn't always comfortable, but you will be free after. You will be set free by, by surrendering to the truth of what it is that we talked about today. If you're, if you're relying on your own resume to get into heaven, you're screwed. I don't know how else to say it. Like, you, like, it ain't, you're done. You're done. But the good news is that God has provided a way. There is a way. And his name is Jesus. And he's, in, he's inviting you through the truth of what it is he's proclaimed. And so I would beg you to come. I would implore you to come. Lord, thank you so much for uh, your gospel truths. Even the hard stuff like this, I thank you how um, you... Um, you put it there so that we can know better, not, not worse, of where we stand with you. I thank you that I am secure in you, and I thank you for knowing me. I mean, that's just the bottom line of the whole deal. Like, if you didn't know me as yours, um, then none of it would, would matter, God. And so thank you so much for, for making me an object of your love and, and for just outfitting me with um, just, just depths and depths of your love, God. Um, I pray that your spirit, um, I trust that it has gone to work as this was being proclaimed today and that, and that it will continue to. That's what I ask is that, is that it will um, bother uh, the people that you want to bother uh, with this sermon and, and that they will be free, uh, that you will guide them into full, uh, complete, eternal, abundant life that comes from you, the living water. And we ask it, God, and, and, and um, in your name.